Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Hope you had a lovely Christmas dinner. I hope you got lots of lovely presents. And you might be sort of feeling a little bit lethargic now. So I think today's episode is going to get you going. Coming up on today's episode, I'll be talking to Isolt Howlett, the creator and director of The Grass Ceiling, a short film which showcases three powerful women in sport. She came along with Irish Times restaurant critic Catherine Cleary, who talked to us about her love of football and discovering that she was in fact a soccer player in her early 40s. But first... Earlier this year, I was lucky to attend the Simmons Leadership Conference, which is a conference held every year and for the last two years it's been in Dublin. And while there, I got to speak to a really incredible woman. Her name is Terere Trent, whose determined pursuit of an education gained her a global platform to advocate for women's rights and for universal access to quality education. She has the unique distinction of being Oprah Winfrey's favourite ever guest. That's a quote from Oprah. Her foundation, Terere Trent International, is on a mission to build and repair schools in Zimbabwe. And Trent's own story, The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Your Sacred Dreams, received the 2017 NAACP Award for Outstanding Literary Work. It was a real pleasure to talk to her. It's a short little interview, but I think you really enjoy this. Terere Tell me about your baton story. Thank you. I always tell uh, women and my audience around the world about the batons that we were born with, which I normally call the soul wounding that we all come with in this world. I visualize my great-grandmother when she was born. She was born in a race that she never defined. And she's running into this race holding the baton. And I call that the baton of poverty, the baton of early marriage, illiteracy, and the baton of oppression. And she runs with that baton and she hands it over to my grandmother. My grandmother grabs the baton of oppression, illiteracy, she runs, she hands it over to my mother. My mother grabs the same baton and she runs so fast, she hands it over to me. And I ran with that baton and I realized at the age of 18, I was already a mother of four babies without a high school education. Just for a moment, being 18 with four babies, that's something that Everyone listening here just can't even comprehend. And that was your existence in Zimbabwe. That's my baton. And it's something that is so common 
amongst uneducated women. And that's the reason why I talk about dropping this baton and redefining my life for a success because I realized I didn't want to carry on with this narrative to pass on this baton to the next generation, to my girls. And I made that conscious decision never, ever to pass it on because I realized despite the fact that these women were running with these batons, they were also wise women. My grandmother talks about it's not only the ugly baton that we pass on through generations, but there's also the baton of wisdom. So in our lives as women, we have to reach a point where we ask ourselves, which baton do I want to carry on with? We have a choice to make that decision to say it might be the baton of privilege. Yes, there's a baton of privilege. How do you then use that baton to uplift humanity? And for me, I had to use my education. I always quote Nelson Mandela in his autobiography. He talks about it is only through education that the daughter of a peasant becomes a doctor the son of a mine worker becomes the head of a mine and the child of a farm worker becomes the president of a great nation. It is what we make up out of our life that we have to give back with. Terry, you talked about a choice there and that we have a choice, which baton to drop and which to pick up. Some people, it doesn't occur to them that there is a choice. What was it in your life that made you see that you did have a different way that you could proceed? To be surrounded by mentors, it's very important. For me, I had my grandmother and I had my mother. And there was an opportunity for me because here we are, we had gained our independence. We were no longer Rhodesia. We were now Zimbabwe. And I could see women from all over the world coming into my village. And I was struck by the way these Western women would carry themselves with such dignity, and I wanted that. And so I had one woman who asked me one question, what are your dreams? I'd never had anybody ask me that question. And I am looking at this woman asking myself, goodness me, terrorai, poor marginalized. Am I even supposed to dream as a poor woman? And she looked back at me and she said, yes, you can dream, you can achieve your dreams. And I had never had anybody giving me that inspiration that I can achieve my dreams. I ran to my mother and I said, Mother, I met somebody who made me believe in my, in my dreams. And this is where I think, you know, when you are surrounded by wisdom and mentors, we can achieve whatever things that we feel are impossible in our lives. So my mother said, write down your dreams and bury them the same way we bury the umbilical cord or the birth cord. I come from a culture where the, the female elders, the elders of the village, the females, they would always take the baby's umbilical cord, snip it out and tie that umbilical cord in an old material which was once worn by the mother 
and bury that deep down under the ground with the belief that when this child grows wherever they go, the umbilical cord will always remind them of their birthplace. My mother said, write down your dreams and bury them. And those dreams will always remind you of their impact, of, of, of their importance, of never passing on the patterns, the sore wound that I was born with, remind you of the wisdom that you were born with. So I had four dreams ready to go and bury them, to come to America to achieve my undergraduate, my master's, and my PhD. When my mother said something so profound that changed my life, Terry, I, I see you only have your personal dreams, but let me remind you this. Your dreams in this life will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of others. I had no idea what my mother was saying. I looked at my mother. My mother was a very quiet woman, and she repeated your dreams in this life will have greater meaning when they are tied to the greater good. I would end up writing my number five dream. When I'm done, I want to come back and improve the lives of women and girls because I didn't want the girls to go through what I had gone through. So I buried those. I wrote my fifth dream. Uh, when I'm done, I want to come back and improve the lives. Buried those dreams. It would take me eight years to achieve my uh, high school education because I didn't have any. Uh, eight years of failing, but eight years of never giving up. And after those eight years, I would find myself at Oklahoma State University uh, where I did my undergraduate in agriculture. And then I went on to do my master's. And uh, later on, I did my PhD. And, you know, it's funny because the day that I was now going to get that paper that says you are a PhD holder, I realized it had taken me 20 years from the day I buried those dreams. But I think it's important in our lives as women, and I think we are learning that through this conference, um, the Leadership Simmons uh, Conference. We are learning that when we design our life for success, we are becoming intentional about it. And you can never fail. But you always want to make sure as you design that life, you're not only designing it for yourself, but you're also designing it to help the young generation as they, as they rise. And the importance of mentorship is important. For me, people say, oh, Terry, you must be lucky to have written all those dreams and you achieve them. Because today... In partnership with Oprah Winfrey, we are building schools, and I'm now on my number 12 school, benefiting more than 39,000 students. We have walked through our schooling system. 19,000 of those are girls going into university. But guess what? It is because I stand on the shoulders of my mentors on the shoulders of champions and giants who looked right into my eyes and saw something that I wasn't seeing and say, yes, together we can redesign your life for success. Tara, I now have a very good insight into why you are Oprah Winfrey's favourite ever guest, by the oh. way. I want you to go back to, if you don't mind, just for a little moment, back yeah. to when you were a teenager, because going back to that, having four children mm -hmm. at 18, can you just describe so people can understand exactly where you've come from and the baton that you had to drop? What mm -hmm. was that circumstance when you were young? I mean, forced child marriage, is that? Yeah. Because of because of poverty and, and also a colonial system that oppressed our people, we 
our our fathers ended up marrying off girls at a tender age. You know, when I talk about the baton, my great-grandmother was married off when she was a teenager, my grandmother and my mother, and I was also in exchange for a cow. All these women, despite their wisdom, we were all exchanged for what I call, I'm sorry, a freaking cow. And, and I never wanted my own girls to be exchanged for a cow. So that was it. Poverty driving these decisions where parents had to sit down and say of these two gender, the boy and the girl, who is more likely to get employed? It is the boy. So they would always make that decision to send the boy child to school and the girls would end up, you know, taking care of the other babies and making sure that there's firewood at home, there's water, would walk long distances to carry the water. But that's not the story that I want. That's not the story that's going to define me. The story that's going to define me is rising from that oppression and creating opportunities for myself, my children, and the community. That's the beauty of educating women and girls because women are known to plow back their resources into communities. You're, the baton that you've passed to your kids then, how are they doing? I bet they have a very different life. Yeah. You know, I always carry two batons. <laughs> there is the ugly baton of oppression, the baton of early marriage. And when I was, um, when my mother said, Terry, if you believe, because I had met a woman who made me believe I can achieve my dreams. And she said, if you believe in what this stranger has said to you, and by the way, her name was Jolak, and at that time she was a program officer. We had come to my village, and now she's now the CEO and president of EFA International. So my mother said, if you believe in what this stranger has said to you and you achieve your dreams, not only are you defining who you are as a woman, but you are defining every life that comes out of your womb and generations to come. So how did I define the life of my children? How did I redefine that baton? I have a girl who graduated with mechanical engineering degree from Oklahoma State University. I have another one. She's doing biomedical sciences at Western Michigan University. In short, I'm just saying we have the power. Remember, we are the creators of our own destiny. We can create the success that we want to see in our future. And now my kids are running with a different baton, the baton of education, the baton of engineers, of artists, and as they are running, I can guarantee you, they are going to pass on those batons to my grandkids, and my grandkids are going to pass on that baton to their, ki to their kids, and life goes on, and I think it's important that we women, we we have to recognize the power that we have. We are the creators. We are the healers. We can do whatever it takes if we believe in ourselves and in our dreams. Tara Rai, thank you very much. You're welcome. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. During my pious phase, 
I learned the hurler's prayer off by heart. I recited this nightly with a sort of pagan fervour. May the great referee, when he calls my name, say, You hurled like a man. You played the game. Now, The Grass Ceiling is a short film which explores female participation in Irish sport. In the film, three athletes explore how being physically courageous and deeply passionate in team sport can unleash your inner strength. It was created and directed by Isolt Howlett, who was inspired to make the film when she read an essay by camogie player Emer Ryan called The Fear of Winning. Isolt joined me in the studio alongside Irish Times restaurant critic Catherine Cleary. They both spoke about the positive impact sport has had on their lives since taking up soccer, of all things, in recent years. Isolt, the grass ceiling is just such a brilliant name for a documentary about women in sport. Uh, what inspired you to make this short film, which is fantastic, by the way? Thanks, well Archie. Thank you. Um, I was, well, I work as an editor, Anyway, so I'm always telling stories and I'm interested in telling stories. And But I had never directed anything and I really wanted to. Well, I was interested to see if there was something that moved me enough to direct it rather than wanting to move across into directing. And, um, and women's sport was something that was kind of ticking in my back brain. And then I read this essay by Ema Ryan and called The Fear of Winning. And it just it was like a punch to the gut. Uh, she just has, she's a gorgeous wordsmith and she just conveyed the joy and the slog and the kind of existential, there's this like kind of existential strand to her talking about playing sport and kind of being in your body that just, uh, yeah, really moved me. And I got in touch with her then, just cold called her and said, come on, come on, let's do something for screen with this. And so we adapted, uh, she trusted me to take her essay and pull some pieces out of it and pull a team together and other sporting contributors to try and um, get across the kind of the essence of her essay on screen. And one of the lines that really moved you from her essay was her body being more engine than ornament because I suppose as women we're used to um, our bodies being put out there as something to be admired as a decoration whereas when women are in sport they really get a sense of their body as this powerful thing. Yeah exactly I think we rarely get that opportunity to be coming from within ourselves you know where it's often we can't get away even ourselves you know we talk about the male gaze but we all do it to ourselves and to each other as women the idea of being looked at or looking so uh, sport is yeah, it, it, it's exactly what Ema said, to, to this chance to be more engine than ornament. And I think that's the gorgeous thing about it is that this really ordinary thing that's available to everybody has this kind of transgressive um, part to it for girls, for and women. One of the things that really struck me as well is there's a couple of things. The, the person who said that the only chance she gets to be aggressive is is when she's doing sport, that it's out of context in other places, but she's allowed to do it and it's a proper way to channel that aggression. Yeah, so we have a camogie player in the film, um, a soccer player. Uh, the camogie player is Ema Ryan. Our soccer player is Irish soccer star Rihanna Jarrett and then our brilliant rugby player Elisa Byrne-White and actually all three women talk about that, this outlet to 
to kind of, uh, yeah, channel. Because we all, I mean, it's human energy. It's not male energy being aggressive and going for what you want. But yeah, it's a brilliant way to reclaim it. And I think I didn't, re- I didn't know that. I didn't never played sport when I was younger. So I came to it late um, in an incredibly <laughs> amateur way. But I was doing uh, indoor um, bouldering, so wall climbing, and then started playing soccer and coaching soccer. And it was like, yeah, it was a kind of an epiphany. It was like, wow, this, here I am in my body. And Rihanna Jarrett, I think she is very uh, good on how we're socialised, um, how women are socialised and girls are about what's for you and what's not for you. Because I think one of the first lines in the film is we grow up watching boys do stuff yeah. and boys don't really grow up watching girls do stuff. It's it's a re- I hadn't actually thought of that. It kind of blew my mind a bit. But Rihanna talks about she has a twin brother and uh, he was out going off joining the local boys soccer team. And because she was sort of sibling rivalry, she wanted to do everything that her twin was doing. And she was badgering her mum to try and get on this uh, boys team. And her mum, and uh, the poor mother, because she's obviously changed her <laughs> mind now, but uh, her mum's saying, oh, that's for boys, you know, yeah. and not wanting her to do it. But she did let her do it. But it, it sort of shows you there, doesn't it? I mean, now she's a soccer star herself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, that's not for, that's, that's not for girls. Um, I think times are changing. The, the, a really nice thing that's happened in the making of this is when we first applied for, so it's a Screen Ireland, formerly the film, Irish Film Board, it's funded film, short film. And um, when I first applied for funding on it, it was quite a different landscape. It was 2017 and there wasn't, there still wasn't really an appetite and an audience for women's sport. It was just on the cusp of something. Um, or just before the cusp. And I think there's still lots of work to be done, but, um, you know, if you see the TV deals for women's sport now um, and all the corporations jumping on the bandwagon as well, which is good, but it's nice to be able to tell the authentic story. But yeah, so that, that's been a really nice thing that the, story, the film was always meant to be a kind of a love song to playing sport, but there was these minor keys in it of, you know, where's our audience and who's looking at us? And we got to make less of the minor keys by the time we were actually making the film. A couple of years later. Just on some of those stats, for GAA, um, over a million people watched the All-Ireland Men's Final this year. 660,000 watched the women's, On which actually I was surprised. I thought that was a really positive amount of people. Then uh, for the women's final at Croke Park, had a record high of 56,000 this year and it was the second largest attendance at any women's sporting final during 2019. Um, the women's World Cup final, the FIFA one, reached 57,900, which is huge in terms of, of women's sport. And then finally for hockey, which has just been such a great oh, story, story of, of women's sport in Ireland. And when they qualified for that in that match in Donnybrook, they got over 6,000 spectators, which may not sound like a lot, but it really is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you know, before they would have been uh, kept that those matches would have been in UCD so um, there was real work done within the Irish hockey um, community to get that to a bigger audience. So we're sort of talking there about kind of elite sport but really I want to bring you in Catherine Cleary because you're involved <laughs> Out in, other um, end you're of our, the spectrum, you're our restaurant critic we, everyone will recognise <laughs> you from that but you uh, took up a sport quite late in life. Quite uh, late in life. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, I don't know, we're just trying to figure out how long ago because it's, it's all been a bit of a blur like life is at the moment. So we reckon it's about four years ago. 
And Isolt and Lee, two friends, said to various randomers, including me, do you want to play football? My first answer to that was, I hate football. I've never played football. Why would I want to play football? Um, But you know what? It might be a bit of fun and I'll go along and see if I enjoy it. Um, I think I laughed more than I... Lots of laughs, not very much contact with the ball on the first night. But I thought, actually, this is great fun. It's great... Um, it reminded me my my team sport when I was in school was netball Um, they played hockey as well but I hated hockey Um, so I I suddenly had this rush back 30 years ago to that team idea of collaborating with other people but also as Isol said just setting your face and going for it and maybe you know maybe even shouldering somebody else out of the way and that's That's part of it so satisfying (laughs) (laughs) I have the bruises on my leg this woman she's a ferocious demon on the pitch so you know I I still play every week if I can Um, I'm still probably not much better than I was at the start because trying to and this is why true well, this is why the this is why I'm so inspired and and for a little while helped to coach some girls because if you learn to do this when you're a girl and the women who play with us now anybody who's done any kind of football learning as a girl just has a different skill set to the people like me who came along in our forties and you know laughed and tried to kick a ball because you know you have the coordination but actually trying to do something with your feet and a ball. Uh, it's, it's it's very hard. It's like writing with your left hand by, you know, 10 times if you're only used to catching balls and throwing them. So if you get the chance to learn as a girl, I think you just have that for the rest of your life, whether or not you're any good at it as well. And this is also interesting, you know, in the coaching end of things, whether you're coaching children to really enjoy it and really partake or whether you're coaching them to win matches. And I think more women getting involved in that coaching end of things makes that a much more mm. interesting story. But yeah, if your skill at a sport is by how much you enjoy it, then I am Lionel Ronaldo. Messi. I'm the Lionel Messi of the You've done of a the really She-Wolves. girly thing so there. I'd like an assessment from you because I don't believe that Catherine what? hasn't improved in four years because that would be kind of impossible. Thanks, Roisin. And I was just about to pull her up on that because she's done a really... It's such a cliche for her to say, to, and you know, this is a, the women's podcast, you shouldn't be doing that on here, to say, oh, I'm up, you know, and I'm absolutely rubbish. And we always laugh and say, you know, oh, we play dreadful progress, football. I think. I'm working progress. She's really, like for people, I never played either, but we're not dreadful. But we, nobody's going to come and pay to ever watch us play. But when we started in the hall, our friend Lee Hamilton was teaching a lot of the people how to dribble from one end of the hall to the other, you know, and we do play matches against other people now and we, and it's a completely different game now. So I'm really disappointed in you, Catherine, <laughs> for doing that. And actually, that's another word that women, you hear women play saying a lot when we're playing football, sorry. And actually, it's one of the things that we've always said, yeah. you're not allowed. If anyone you comes since day you one, you have to ban like, that word. You're not allowed to say sorry. sorry. Yeah. So when you're kicking people in the ankles, then it's all just that you don't I, say I sorry. Bloody deserved. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about, I do say sorry if that happens, <laughs> when that happens. But um, the, the sorry is about, I made a mistake. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, that was a rubbish pass or whatever, you know. Or, And sometimes someone being really competitive and we need to encourage more of that. Yeah, okay. But so it, it is the best one. I have to say it's the best one. And Catherine, has it, you said at the beginning that you don't like soccer. Has it made you like soccer as a, like, would you watch a Liverpool and yeah, Manchester United funny. match? It's like anything. When you try and do it yourself, you, you just get a new insight into how, uh, how skilled it is. So... 
you know, I can't say I'm an avid soccer fan that I sit down and watch all the matches, but I certainly loved the women's matches over the summer. Um, I was in Crow Park a couple of years ago for the women's final, uh, the football final, and actually found my eldest son was inspired to go back to GAA by the skill that we saw and the power and the speed and the fitness of people. You realise how fit, you know, people playing at that level need to be. And I think anybody, you know, if you're coming from a five-a-side game with your mates and you're watching a match, you're just in, you're, you're almost in the match. Like, you get what it is to, you know, I, I understand the dynamics. I understand the the absolute excitement as somebody is building towards a goal um, or the disappointment when they don't get it, you know, that rush of the feeling. Communion, right? Yeah. The, the the team effort. Absolutely, that every heartbeat pointing in the same direction, you know, that's that's a terrible metaphor, but you know what I mean, every every <laughs> eyeball looking at the same thing and everybody feeling the same feeling, which is the wonderful thing about those massive sporting occasions when you're part of this organism that is a massive crowd that is rooting for, you know, half of them rooting for one side or the other. Um, it's really satisfying and it's it does bring the joy of sport home. Is what you said you're now playing against other people. So are there lots more um, women's soccer teams sort of sprouting up? Is this a movement? Um, th- well, there are. Yeah, there are lots of the people that we have played. Uh, we played in a league a, a couple of years or in a row or a couple of terms in a row. Um, and a lot of us were older than a lot of the other women we were playing. Um, and there's lots of Brazilians in Ireland playing. Oh, no. Playing oh, well, there's point playing. <laughs> I don't need to be well, stereotypical, but... Yeah, but there is point because uh, you, need some you Brazilians can still on your team. have fun when you're losing. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. That's, I'm not the best person to talk to about that. I don't understand the concept of losing and fun. Um, well, <laughs> I'm competitive. slightly. <laughs> um... Yeah, and do you, Roisin, find hard, like is it, you're saying you're competitive and you don't play sport. Are there things that hold you back? Do you have to hold back your competitive nature? Uh, in, in board in games or things? I'm talking about board in, games. Well, like mostly. say in work. Say <laughs> Quizzes. In work. A monopoly <laughs> oh, aside. Oh, that's a good question. Do I? No, I tend to. I think in the physical side, though, definitely, I, I have this, I would have a sense that I'll be rubbish at it. So I'm not even going to bother because therefore I won't be able to achieve anything that's going to satisfy me. So what's the point? And I think that was, that's the kind of thing that more holds me back. I mean, um, you doing soccer, Catherine, or both of you, I'm kind of really listening to that thing. And that's fantastic. But I don't see think oh I'd like to do that because I just think well I won't be able to run very far I'll be rubbish in there I'll hold everyone back so I won't ruin their game by getting involved that's kind of how I There are those sinkholes and you realise they're there when you're back in that team sport I remember there was one night where you know the the teams were picked and uh, myself and somebody else were the the last picks Oh no and I did kind of it it was funny I went home and thought (laughs) oh right that's the end of that then and then I thought actually no because you know I, I can still really enjoy this it doesn't you know, I am never going to delude myself that I'm going to be that the best player, but I can be a good player and I can, I'm, I'm now taking, Isolt is glaring at me here. I, I'm, I'm just tipping myself <laughs> up. I can get better. Um, but I think that's where, you know, and you forget that those feelings about comparing yourself to somebody else. I mean, the, the, when you compare yourself to somebody else, it's always, I remember talking to psychologists about this. There's the ego stage that kicks in when, when children are about three or four. And up until that stage, when you think of a baby learning to walk, like they're terrible at it, but they never, they don't look at other children and go, oh God, they're so good, I'll give up. They just, <laughs> you know, they keep going. Uh, and then your ego stage kicks in where you do start comparing yourself to other people and you just say, oh, they're way much better. I don't fit in here. I'm not part of this. And 
the the wonderful thing about a mixed ability group, which is what we have, we've got people who are really good and then we've got people who are just coming back to it, is that there is a sense of belonging to something and it, it you can belong at any grade. You don't have to be... Because it would be really boring if we were all great, you know, I yeah, think. It would be. <laughs> it would be less funny. You keep well. telling yourself that. That's <laughs> yeah. And most of the time we're li- we're just playing, playing each other. It's, you know, there it's... It's the exception when we're going and playing another. Time. And is there that sense? Because even when you mentioned the word play, I mean, you you talked about it sort of bringing yourself back sort of thirty years. I mean, we don't really play enough, do we? I mean, is is it that sort of feeling of that you're out yeah, having exactly a game with other like-minded people? It's exactly the feeling. It's joy and 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 being disinhibited. And we so rarely get that opportunity. And Ireland, obviously, we give it to ourselves with alcohol quite a lot, but. <laughs> To be sober and disinhibited is a rare thing and it's such a joy. And it is, it's exactly that routine, it's play. And I think in the short film, you see that on the faces of these elite players, that they're playing and, and they love it and they all kind of talk about it in that way. Um, and it's, it's, it's part I, of us. I was saying to yourself that what I love about the film, you could have that, you know, you could play the script as a podcast almost but yeah. it's the images of those women's faces and they get the, they all get this look on their face and, and Isolt has, has directed it so that you see them you don't see that they're looking the ball that they're looking at you just see their faces and they get this look on their face that women you don't see very much in women it's completely focused it is regardless of anybody else looking at them they have no interest in who is looking at them they're entirely focused on their next play their next decision um, you know, they are in that flow that somebody who is really both enjoying something and also very ambitious for it gets. Um, and that's what the beauty of that film is. It's the words, but it's also the pictures and mm. it's the pictures of women being incredibly um, powerful and capable in themselves and not giving a shit about what anybody else <laughs> thinks of them. Sorry, can I say uh, that? No, you're allowed to swear on the women's <laughs> podcast. Um Isolt, is there a sense from talking to those women and, you know, really immersing yourself in the world of women's sport that you think, it sort of feels like it's quite an exciting time, especially for young girls, for girls coming up now, that there's now an open goal in, in terms of women and girls and sport. And there was that 2020 campaign where, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Girls are now seeing, they're seeing this film, they're seeing all these amazing athletes, the hockey players, the soccer players, and uh, it's it's totally different. It's totally different, yeah. The, it's There's been a big landscape shift culturally. Um, and and it's lovely to think about not just gir- little girls or young, you know, uh, teenage girls in that world, but for the boys too, it's making a difference. I have a brilliant nephew who comes from a very sporting family. His name is Patrick and his... Um, soccer hero is one of the Irish women hockey team um, and you know it's exactly what you know it's see it and be it but also see it and look up to it So boys are watching women and girls now in a way that would never have been the case yeah, and, which and is going to have its own impact too that yeah. heroes don't have to be men or boys Exactly and and I think heroism should be available to us. It shouldn't always be a selfless act that makes women heroes. It's it funny you some... say that because Sonia Sullivan comes in here sometimes and any every time she even walks into the office, I just, I mean, you can see people like stopping and just staring because she's such a legend and she's just turned 50 um, yeah. and there's been a lot of, you know, articles and things written about her to do with that. But, you know, when you think back to Sonia's day, like she, there would have been very few 
female role models in the sporting sense and now there's just so many I think it's wonderful It's amazing I remember going for a jog in Cork and somebody said to me in a Cork accent Sonia as I ran by them very oh slowly <laughs> That was a great day Yeah <laughs> Well listen tell us where people can watch the film and also just to say you've had a lot of acclaim for it and you know there's a real buzz about it too isn't there? there? So it got premiered in the Cork Film Festival recently and it seemed to go down really well it was lovely and um the, so it's going to do a festival circuit. What happens with the short films is they do a festival circuit for a year. So we're very much hoping that you'll get to see it in the Dublin Film Festival in February. Um, but they haven't announced the, the um, programme yet. And it'll be in lots of festivals, hopefully internationally. And then I know that Screen Ireland are hoping that every school child in the country, well, they said school girl, but uh, I think it should be boys too should see the film so make sure you get them to say school child that's really important yeah. not just the girl seeing it yeah. like yeah it's back to your nephew you know there's yeah. this role models out there for those boys let them see them yeah uh, well I'm certainly going to bring it home to my two school yeah, girls brilliant. and show it and uh, you've got three boys so yeah have they, they seen it already? they haven't seen it yet but they love it yeah I think they'll really enjoy it yeah. a brilliant. third of them have played football with us so that's true yeah <laughs> when we're very short on numbers my eldest has come along and uh and played and been very impressed, I think, at the level. That is can he run like a girl? Oh, that's he yeah. runs <laughs> almost as well as a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, listen, thanks very much for thanks, coming Rishi. in. Good luck with all your endeavours. and keep. Do you think you'll never give it up? I mean, is there a retirement age for I'm sure a middle-aged soccer player? I'm sure ligament or whatever. <laughs> She's really good at scoring goals. I don't think she should give up. Um, I, you know, I mean, I'll play as long as my knees will let me. Um, you know, I, I've seen those kind of walking soccer games that men do in, in England especially so I think yeah that could be me Walking point. soccer games yeah, just that sounds people, more like my alley Yeah <laughs> where people can't it looks like great fun um, you know where people have and, and it is it does take its toll on, on Nobody on runs in these legs. matches Nobody runs no, You just no, walk They walk to the ball yeah, so. Golf Yeah Well <laughs> <laughs> Golf for your legs and the sticks <laughs> Isolt is like uh, the Tasmanian devil in terms of her speed on the pitch. So I can't. Yeah, she's imagine looking very cautiously about this walking. idea of walking football. <laughs> yeah, football would not be her. You path. can't hit anyone, and you can't walk, or you can't run. No. <laughs> okay, I think we should end it there on the hitting and the aggression that can come out of women in these uh, contexts. And um, well, listen, the film is wonderful. It's called The Grass Ceiling, and I hope it does end up in the Dublin Film Festival and gets widely viewed and maybe tipped for an Oscar. That would be definitely thrown that out there and it's Netflix, definitely Oscar Netflix, worthy Netflix buy this yes if you're listening Netflix uh, buy the grass ceiling so thank you very much Isolde Thanks, and Catherine Richard. thank you and that's it for today thanks again to our guests Isolde Howlett and Catherine Cleary and also earlier to Trere Trent and thank you as well to the Simmons Leadership Conference for letting us in to talk to a lot of amazing people there we'll be bringing you some more of those interviews in future episodes remember you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we're on Spotify Acast and all good podcast apps if you want to get in touch we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at Irish times.com the podcast is produced by me Roisin Ingle and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound until next time thanks for listening planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.